This is Radio Maria. We now present Catechesis. This program is a rebroadcast. This is Catechesis on Radio Maria England. And on today's programme, we have Father Andrew Eburn, who is a parish priest in poor England. Recently, he has spoken about the Word of God for Word of God Sunday and looking at Scripture. So today, for you, dear listeners, he'll be speaking about Catholic views of sacred Scripture. Hello, Father Andrew. Father Andrew, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm all right. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? I just yeah, realised that. Fine, fine. Eburn is absolutely fine. There's yes. not many of us, but um, yeah, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a common name, but there we go. Well, no, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Thank you. All right. I'm going to pass the microphone over to you and our listeners' ears and hearts are in your hands. Thank you so much. Last Sunday, uh, third Sunday of the year, uh, was what we call Sunday of the Word of God. Sunday when we reflect particularly on the gifts of the scriptures, on the value of scriptures, what they mean to us, and and on the importance of our engagement as Catholics with sacred scripture. And then today uh, we have the feast of St. Timothy and Titus, those missionary companions to St. Paul, assistants to him in the great work of evangelization, uh, who were both consecrated by him as episcopoi or bishops, uh, I think St. Timothy, Bishop in Ephesus, Titus, Bishop in Crete. Um, but if we pick up on this feast day, that theme of the Word of God, uh, we might recall St. Paul's advice to Timothy on the significance of Scripture. St. Paul writes to him, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Um, beautiful quotation, often cited by Christians in the Protestant tradition for their view of Scripture. So um, I want to take that as a way in, because um, continuing that theme of the Word of God, to talk today to you about sacred Scripture and about its significance to us as Catholics in the Catholic tradition. So I'm going to start with a very simple question, uh, and the question is, why do we read the Bible? Why do we read the Bible at all? Now, there's a simple answer, one very simple answer, not the most important answer, but a very simple and a true answer is that we read the Bible because our Lord does. We read the Bible because our Lord does. Jesus reads the Bible. Or rather, let's be more accurate about this, Jesus reads the Jewish scriptures, what we would now call the Old Testament Jesus reads the Jewish scriptures, he's well acquainted with them, he has significant recourse to them in his ministry. And we see that throughout his ministry from the very start to the very end of his ministry. So if you remember, um, the ministry of our Lord begins with or is prefaced by the 40 days in the desert where Jesus battles the devil and his temptations and the weapons they use are scripture. Uh, the weapon Jesus uses, in fact, is the book of Deuteronomy, part of what in the Jewish scriptures is the book of the law. So if you remember that encounter, 
devil says, if you are the son of a God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. How does Jesus respond to that? Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. So it's, it's, it's the weapons of the battle of scripture uh, when the the devil uh, takes him up to the holy, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple in the holy, in the holy city, says to our Lord, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge of you. What's the devil doing? He's quoting scripture, or rather misquoting Psalm 91, uh, misquoting scripture against, <laughs> against the writer of scripture, um, typical of the devil's folly. Um, what does Jesus do? Responds in kind with the same the same armory. Again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6.16. Um, and we go on that way. The third temptation, um, uh, the temptation of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and in and him only shall you serve, Deuteronomy 6.13. So, um, Jesus' ministry starts in what we might call a moment of spiritual crisis, under attack from the devil. What does he do? He turns to sacred scripture. That is his familiar recourse. And that familiarity with scripture, that comfort he has with sacred scripture continues all the way through his ministry, all the way through, right to the very end. Look at the very end of his ministry on the cross. The last words that our Lord says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is a quotation from Psalm 22, an important quotation, because it's a psalm that ends with trust and faith in God. Um, what else does he say on the cross? Into your hands I commend my spirit. It's a quotation from Psalm 31. Um, Jesus, quoting from the Psalms again, um, giving voice to his experience through sacred scripture. And as I say, it happens throughout his ministry. Um, our Lord's always quoting from the Psalms, probably his favorite favorite book of scripture. He quotes many times from Isaiah, from the other prophets, from Hosea, from Amos. He quotes from the law. So the law, by the law, we mean the first five books of the Bible. He quotes from the law, not just against the devil, but many times in his ministry, from the books of Exodus, from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy and, of course, from Genesis. And one of the reasons, actually, why it's good to read Genesis is because Jesus likes Genesis, quotes a lot from it. Um, so, as I say, and Jesus is preaching, full of references to the Scriptures. He's often, in that respect, a bit like a modern-day preacher in that he begins with a passage from sacred Scripture. He may read it or cite it, and then he explains it. He teaches from it. He gives the correct interpretation of it. So Jesus knew the scriptures and often taught from them. He knew the scriptures intimately. He valued them. They were an intimate part of his ministry. So the answer to that question, the initial answer to that question, why do we read that Bible? We read sacred scripture, very simple, because our Lord does. But we also... Pay attention to the way in which our Lord reads sacred scripture, and we learn from the way in which he reads sacred scripture. What do I mean by this? Well, again, we saw um, a beautiful example of this uh, 
on Sunday in the gospel for this Sunday, just past Sunday of the Word of God, where we have um, fantastic example, public reading of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, public reading of the Old Testament scriptures as part of the synagogue liturgy, which is fascinating, not least because it shows something of the origins of the liturgy of the Word in our Mass. Fascinating because it shows us how Jesus reads Scripture and it gives us a template for us to follow. So in that instant, in that episode in the synagogue at Nazareth, Jesus takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he reads from the scroll, Spirit of the Lord has been given to me, for he has anointed me, etc., etc., etc. This wonderful prophecy from Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah. He sits down, which is the posture of the teacher, the, the posture of the one who's giving an interpretation of, of, of the divine word. All eyes in the synagogue are fixed on him. And what does he do then? He explains, just like a traditional rabbinic preacher, or like a Catholic preacher today, like a priest at Mass, having explained from the scriptures, he, he explains their meaning. What does he say? He says, this text is being fulfilled today, even as you listen. How does that happen? How is the text being fulfilled? Well, it's being fulfilled by him just being there. In other words, says Jesus, the meaning is me. I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy. This text is talking about me. This text is fulfilled to me. If you read the book of Isaiah, you will find me. So this is something really radical. It is not just um, a set of instruction we find in sacred scripture. It's not just a set of commands. It's not just history or law. It is not even, for that matter, simply a text that we encounter. It is actually a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that is why we read sacred scripture. That is why we read the Bible, not for the instructions, not for the laws, not for the history, not for uh, the text itself, but for the person. So we have a simple answer. We read the scriptures because our Lord does. And then if we look at how our Lord reads the scriptures and we imitate example, we are then led to the more profound answer and the more authentic Catholic answer. We read sacred scripture because we will encounter there the person of Jesus Christ. Not just rules or instructions, but the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Second Vatican Council teaches us in Sacrosanctum Concilium, the decree on sacred liturgy. Christ is present in his word, since it is he himself who speaks when the Holy Scriptures are read in the church. Christ is present in his word. So that is why uh, um, uh, that is why we read um, that is why uh, we have uh, a sacred duty to read, because in the scripture we will encounter the Lord himself. Um, and that leads us to um, a really important distinction as Catholics when it comes to the Bible, because we read the Bible to encounter the person, but we worship the person. We don't worship the book. We don't worship the text. This is an important distinction for Catholics. There's a phrase which has come over from the States in recent years of people who describe themselves as Bible-believing Christians 
or as a Bible-believing community. And you might sometimes find uh, a, a Protestant community describing itself as a Bible-believing community uh, to somehow validate their, their, their authenticity. Now, we don't say that. In the creed, in our public profession of faith, we don't say, I believe in the Bible. We have never said in the creed, Holy Mother Church, in any of the creedal statements, has never said, I believe in the Bible. We say, I believe in one God. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. I believe in Jesus Christ and his church, the church which gave me the Bible after all. But I don't say I believe in the Bible. I venerate the text, but I don't worship it. Really important distinction for us as Catholics. Um, now I'm going to go into that into a bit more more detail, but um, perhaps at this point that's a good moment for us to take a break uh, and have a music break and then for me to come back and just explain that in a bit more detail. They say you're the king of everything The one who taught the wind to sing The source of the rhythm my heart keeps beating They say you can give the blind their sight And you can bring the dead to life You can be the hope my soul's been seeking I wanna tell you now that I believe it I wanna tell you now that I believe it I do That you can make me
This is Catechesis with Radio Maria. On today's programme, we have Father Andrew Eburn. Father Eburn is coming to us from Pouringland. He's a parish priest there, and he is sharing today the Catholic views of sacred scripture. So I'm turning back the mic to you, Father Andrew. But before I, I give it back to you, listeners, you will have an opportunity to call in, ask Father Andrew any questions. Perhaps you've got some reflections of your own. Perhaps there's a connection you've had with scripture that you'd like to share. The number is 01 375 564. I'll remind you of that number in just a little bit as well. But for now, sit back and let's take in the wise words of Father Andrew. Thanks so much. Well, we were talking uh, earlier about the Catholic view of the Bible, and I was trying to make a distinction between a Catholic view which says, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ and his church, but which does not say, I believe in the Bible. We have a kind of hierarchy there. And just to explain that, I want to go back into um, uh, the ministry of Christ, which I was talking about earlier on. One of the obvious things about what the Lord gives us in his ministry, or one of the obvious things about what he does not give us, he does not give us a book. I think this is wonderfully clear if we look at the very end of the incarnate mystery of our Lord. Um, So we've seen him jousting, if you like, via sacred scripture with the devil in the desert. We've seen him in the synagogue in Nazareth reading from the prophet Isaiah, both of these at the start of his ministry. But I want to know now go right to the very end of his incarnate ministry, in fact, to the last day. Um, so we're going to go to the Mount of the Ascension. And if we can just imagine ourselves, it's the day of the Ascension and the incarnate ministry of our Lord is coming to an end. So after the three years preaching and healing in Galilee, the journey to Jerusalem, the arrest, trial, crucifixion, death, resurrection, after all that, here we are on the day of the ascension, on the mount of the ascension, and our Lord has finished that ministry. What is he leaving behind on that day to ask his disciples as he ascends. Okay, well, we can enumerate, we can list, if you like, what he's leaving behind. He is leaving a promise. I am always with you, even to the end of time. He is leaving us a commission. Go out and make disciples. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, a promise and a commission. He is leaving us a Eucharistic command. Do this in memory of me. And then finally, substantively, on that hillside, on the Mount of the Ascension, he is leaving people. He leaves a group of people, a group of disciples, a community, what the the New Testament calls an ecclesia, a church. But no text. No book. Jesus never wrote anything down. He never wrote anything. Anything down, in fact, anyway, except one exception, one exception. You might remember this, the story of the woman caught in adultery, story in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, where if you remember, um, whilst the, the debate is going on about the fate of the woman caught in adultery, um, Jesus writes with his finger on the ground as he disputes with those who would condemn uh, the woman. It's the only example 
of Jesus writing anything anywhere within the gospel narratives. Um, and here probably he's fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah says, those who turn away from thee shall be written in the dirt. So the names of the sinners are written in, in dust, if you like. So, But this is, okay, this is a symbolic action, a prophetic action. It's not a piece of writing to be recorded for posterity, okay? Uh, it's not about revealing the Lord or recording his presence. And apart from this symbolic prophetic action, Jesus never writes anything down. He never writes anything down, and he never asks anyone to write anything down. He did not leave a text behind. He did not leave a book. He left a community, a church, with his promises and his commands, and he pretty much let them get on with it, um, guided by his promises, his commands, and the Holy Spirit. And then that community, the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, creates what we eventually come to know as the Bible. Um, and by the way, Bible just comes from the Latin word Biblia, which means books, the different books of sacred scripture. Um, so now, this is why we have a distinction between the Catholic way of looking at sacred scripture and the Protestant way. Because the Protestant will say, for example, what does the Bible teach? But we don't say that. We say, what does Jesus teach? And what does the church teach? Because the church literally came first and the Bible second. Okay, It's not that we don't value the Bible. It's not that we don't have great esteem for the value. It's not that we don't recognize, as I have been describing, that we will encounter the Lord himself in the Bible. But for our teaching, we go firstly to the Lord and his church, because the Lord and his church gave us the Bible and not the other way around. Um, but we do, as I say, recognize the huge importance of the scriptures above all, because we will find the Lord there. And just to give you one more example, um, something that Jesus himself taught us in person on the day of the resurrection. So if you remember, on the day of the resurrection, the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, they are accompanied by Jesus, but they do not recognize him. And when they express dismay and despair at the crucifixion, he chides them for their lack of belief. But specifically, and it is specific, he chides them for their lack of belief in the scriptures. For their lack of belief in the scriptures, their failure to see him in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And then as he walks with them, he takes them through the scriptures. Uh, are like giving a kind of walking scripture class. And the account in the Gospel of Luke says that starting with Moses, so that's the book of the law again, this the first five books of the Bible, which um, Jewish tradition believed to have been written by Moses himself. So starting with Moses, first five books of the Bible, going through all the prophets, he explained to them the passages throughout the scriptures that were about himself. So there you have Jesus teaching that we will find him in the scriptures and specifically in the Old Testament. And the disciples, you might remember the disciples themselves say afterwards, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts burn within us? Their hearts burn within them because of that 
encounter with the Lord. So it is important to read sacred scripture. It's worthwhile reading sacred scripture. It's worthwhile reading the entire Bible, not just the Gospels, but the whole Bible, Old Testament and New, because Jesus is there as he taught, as he taught those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now, if as a Christian, as a disciple, I don't read the Old Testament, what do I talk about with Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus? If our Lord suddenly appears beside me and begins to talk to me about the law, about the books of Moses, about the prophets, if he speaks of himself being present in the law and the prophets, how will I know what he is talking about if I haven't read the book? So it's hugely important to to read the Bible. It's hugely important to have that that encounter uh, with the Lord. Um, we don't, as I say, have the same view of scriptures as our as our Protestant brothers and sisters. Um, we have a different view of scripture. Now, I would say a more authentic view of scripture. Um, we view scripture through the lens, if you like, of the church. We view scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ himself. We we learn to read scripture in the way that Christ himself read it, which means we don't adopt the kind of Protestant model whereby the Bible has a kind of unique authority all of its own, and that anyone can come to their own conclusions about uh, what they find in sacred scripture, and then live their life accordingly in a kind of individualistic way. We don't do that. We think it's a recipe for chaos. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't respect um, the way the Lord gave the scripture itself. Um, but we do read the scripture with, with you know, with, with love and devotion and with a sense of how the Lord has given scripture to us uh, and with a sense of imitating him in what we read. So that as we read scripture, we recognize that he has taught us that we will find him there. We will find the Lord there. We won't just find a text. We won't just find law. We won't just find history. Uh, we won't just find instructions. We will find the Lord himself. And if we read scripture as he read it, and as the church teaches, teaches us, to read it, it will be a, an enormous asset in our encounter with the Lord. Remember what um, uh, St. Jerome said, that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of the Lord. Um, we don't want the Lord to find us ignorant of him. Um, so uh, we take the time uh, to, uh, to to read to read sacred Scripture. Well, I think that's probably uh, enough of that particular explanation for now. So perhaps we can pause now again for uh, another another music break and then um, perhaps have some questions or some further discussion after that. Thank you, Father Andrew. We have the phone lines open now. The number is 01-223-375-564. Again, the number is 01 223 Three seven five five six four. We look forward to your calls.
This is Catechesis on Radio Maria. I've got with me Father Andrew answering some questions coming his way. Father Andrew, you've given us such a lot of meat to chew and digest about the Catholic views of sacred scripture. And to be honest, from my point of view, I thought, oh, no, this is, is this, is this new territory? But thank you for explaining it so, so kindly and so lovingly. That makes me feel a lot better for not being able to quote scripture so well. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Catholics, I know cradle Catholics feel the same way. They were like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I can't just name it off. I'm lucky yeah, if yeah. I can, but yeah. I know the stories and yes. I'm, and I'm doing I'm doing the Bible in a Year program uh, with Ascension. Uh, but I want you to know, Father Andrew, you have got a much nicer voice than Father Mike Schmitz. Don't, uh, <laughs> listeners, start calling I mean, now if you want to argue. I love, I love Father Mike Schmitz. Um, um, I'm going to be really careful because I love his material, but... I find he talks really fast. He does. He talks so fast. <laughs> he is fast. so fast. It's like, a, it's, I mean, nothing. I mean, what, what an amazing evangelist. What an ma- amazing teacher. Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm being beaten in submission. It's so fast. I can't. <laughs> it's true. I guess it might be the Holy Spirit. But I think he's, just, he's just so fired up, isn't he? He's, you know, yeah. he's got so much to say. And, you know, God bless him. He is. Oh, but so with that, I mean, I'm on day, what, 26 now. So, so where, where have you got to? Today, 26, we are just finished Joseph's uh, story, the Joseph and not the Technicolor dream goat, but the the robes. And uh, and so that was really nice. And it's been helping me with my confirmation students a lot because I we have to talk about the fall, the breaking away from God. And so it's been really helpful for me. But what it's not been helpful yet, and I'm sure maybe in day 200 and something when we get further (laughs) in the New Testament, is explaining Mary in scriptures because that's what the confirmation kids are always about. Why why Mary? She's she's barely sure, even in scripture. Sure. Could you help shed some light on that, Father Andrew? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, and and, and uh, a, a beautiful topic. And um just as I think our encounter with the Lord can be and it, it, it's such a beautiful opportunity to encounter the Lord in, in, in sacred scripture. We have the same opportunity with our lady. And you know, often I think it's it's the part of the problem is we don't have a, a familiarity with the scripture. So we feel a little bit daunted. Um and we're somehow sometimes held back a bit. The example I always give is um is the book of Psalms. Now, I love the book of Psalms. Uh, I mean, amazing, a beautiful, beautiful writing, so full of wisdom, so full of instruction, um, so full of the, of the heart of the Lord himself. Um, and then, But if you think about it, if you, uh, we're told in, 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 in the Act of the Apostles that the, that the apostles were, were, were praying in the temple. Now, the first apostles daily prayed the Psalms, okay? Um, but for those guys... The Psalms at that date are already, what, 600 years old? 600-year-old texts, which they're praying day by day. They're intimately familiar with them. They've grown up with them. So it's a bit like us reading Shakespeare in English or whatever, or even older. So we can feel a bit daunted by Scripture. We can feel like it's difficult to find a way in. Um, But part of it is just acquiring the familiarity. And if we realize that the very first disciples were also dealing with ancient texts and slowly becoming familiar with them. I think, I think we'll, we'll understand we're on the same boat, as it were. But to come back to Mary, um, the great thing about um, 
scripture is it gives us so many ways in to 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 encounter our lord and to to encounter encounter mary it's it's almost it's, it's almost difficult to know where to start but i want just to give you a human example and also because it's something that um hopefully some listeners will have heard at mass recently so one of the beautiful stories that we have heard from the old testament in recent weeks in the readings of mass is the story of hannah yes this is from the book of samuel yeah yes yes so amazing story i mean what a story this extraordinary story of suffering and longing and immense trust in god so as i'm sure you remember so hannah is is the wife of eli and the great tragedy of her life is that she hasn't been able to conceive a child so she has this vast and overwhelming desire uh, for a child she cannot conceive, but Eli's other wife, Penina, does conceive, and she lords it over Hannah, and she throws it in her face, and she makes her feel wretched. So you have this hideous situation, this hideous tragedy for Hannah, this this incredible longing gnawing away at her, which is unresolved, when in her distress she prays to God, and she offers to give the child away. Which is amazing, you know, I just like, I'm going to, I have this dream which is consuming me, but I'm going to give the dream away and give it to the Lord. So she stops praying for herself, she starts praying for the Lord, for the Lord to fix the problem in his way, and then she is given the child, um, which she then gives back to God. I mean, it's just the turns and the twists in the story are incredible. Um, she gives the child back to the God, to God, and the child then becomes Samuel, who's the great priest and judge and leader of his people. Um, now, now the thing about the story is, classic Old Testament story, full of human emotion, full of loss and heartache, family tragedy, um, bitterness, lamentation, the whole range of human emotion. And this woman who's unable to conceive, who then gives her child to God. In a way, there is nothing quite like it in the New Testament. And yet, um, it is there. And we can find it in the New Testament, or, or rather, we can find a little bit of it in the New Testament, because Mary remembers Hannah when she sings the Magnificat. And I think people don't always um, uh, realize this, so it's, that's why I think it's great when we hear the story of Hannah. Let's just remember that Mary knows the story. When Mary sings the Magnificat, this this beautiful song of praise and trust in God, praise and trust in God who has given her this miraculous child, she is echoing the words of Hannah's song to God when Hannah is able to conceive. So Hannah sings to God after she's given a child. She sings, um, uh, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash sheep. Um, now Mary echoes this song. In her song, uh, The Magnificat, and there's all these similar phrases and these ideas. He cast the mighty from their thrones. He raises the lowly. Okay, so there's a kind. There's, there's this echo going on. There's this. This. The, the, it's not quite the same song, but there's an echo of it. Now, a, a secular scholar or an academic would say, "Oh well, the reason that's there is that St. Luke is just copying bits of the Old Testament." Um, but actually. There's a simpler reason, which is not an academic reason. And the simpler reason is that Mary knows the story of Hannah. Mary knows the scriptures. She, she's a devout Jew. She's a woman of prayer. 
she goes to the synagogue. Uh, one of the um, lovely phrases we heard in the gospel last week, you know, when um, Jesus is, goes to synagogue to preach, um, there's that beautiful momentary phrase which says, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as he usually did. As he usually did. Why was that? Who taught him? Mary taught him. The reason he usually went to the synagogue and stuff is because Mary took him. You know, there's a, there's a whole family history in that little phrase. So as I say, Mary, devout Jew, woman of prayer, and she knows the scriptures. So maybe, just maybe, as a woman of prayer who knows the scriptures, it is so natural in her to echo the words of Hannah in her own song, to make them her own in her own life. Now, the point is, I guess, um, uh, if you don't know the story of Hannah, if you haven't read First Book of Samuel, you do not see what Mary sees. And you don't see, uh, when it comes to the first chapter of Luke and Mary starts singing the Magnificat, you don't see that Mary remembers the story of Hannah and how moving that is, that she remembers the story of the childless woman who was given a miracle boy, uh, the boy who was a gift from God, who then becomes a great leader in Israel, who is not Samuel, who is the Lord himself. So it all makes sense. Um, But you don't get that if you haven't um, uh, read the book of Samuel. So again, it's just a kind of, um, just an example of how, you know, a, a slightly broader familiarity with the scriptures gives us such an insight, a human insight, um, into our Lord, into our Lady, uh, uh, into the Holy Family. It's true. And I think, Father Andrew, I think because as a child, when we learn the story of Mary and the angel comes, my little brain at that time, that's all it could take because it's still a marvellous wonder. Oh, my goodness. And then as you get older and you can dive further into it and, and, and also spend some time not only reading the past scriptures, which brings more colours to it, but then also by spending time with prayer in the scriptures, perhaps through Electio Divina, you you become even more immersed in the world of the story and it becomes so and in a way like you said earlier you become you walk they become companions with you mary becomes that companion and jesus becomes that companion and then like you said then we can learn from the church and oh you're spot on father andrew yeah absolutely and and i think the great thing about one of the great things about lex it's a wonderful spiritual tool but one of the really simple practical things about it is that you do it slowly <laughs> you know and often um uh you know we hear a lot of scripture uh, at mass which is great i mean we hear just about all the new testament um across across the three years of the lectionary um we hear a lot of it but we you know we only hear it for a few minutes and uh, sometimes it's read fast sometimes it's read slow sometimes we don't take it all in sometimes someone's being restless news or whatever but with alexio you have that just luxury. We have Lexio luxury, whereby <laughs> you can uh, do it slow. And so, like I say, that phrase I mentioned earlier in, in last Sunday's gospel, he, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as he usually did. Uh, just those, you know, those words, as he usually did. As I say, there's a whole family history there, um, which you only notice, I think, if you go slow. Um, but it's also a matter of trusting 
that the, the, the script is not some kind of daunting obligation that I've got to trawl through on my hands and knees. It's also a kind of beautiful repository that if I give it time and attention and just kind of pour it over it phrase by phrase by phrase, these extraordinary things will, 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 will pop out at me. Well, this is a perfect break time again for our listeners. I, I don't want to hog you to myself, Father Andrew. So our lovely listeners, do you have any questions or have you had any experiences that, that you can share with us as a family? Or you might want to point out to Father Andrew, ho, ho, ho. The number is 01223375. Five six four. If you're calling from abroad, the number is zero zero four four one two two three three seven five five six four. And now you you I can't help myself, so I'm going to play the uh, the Magnificat performed by the Arundel and Brighton Diocese in choirs. <laughs>
Hello, everyone. This is Catechesis with Radio Maria, and I've got a caller on the line. Hello, sir. What's your name? Yeah, that's you. Hi, um, my name is Abel. Hello, Abel. I hear you have a question for Father Andrew. He is listening. You, can you go ahead and ask it? Yeah, um, I'm starting to read the Bible, so I don't know where to start. Should I start in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Well, good question. Um, firstly, um, congratulations on starting, um, and uh, I'm sure you'll get so much out of it. Um, I would. There's, there, there are a lot of Bible reading plans that you can download from from the internet. Um, uh, so I would I would choose a plan which enables you to do a bit of both. So what? Okay, what I wouldn't do is start at the beginning and just keep going. Um, that sounds like a kind of obvious thing to do, um, but some of the earlier books um, beyond Genesis are quite challenging, and people often run out of steam, and they they get a bit downhearted, and then they give up because it just seems too hard. So what you want to do is to is to have something that gives you... You can find the Bible reading plan that have, uh, let's say, a bit of the New Testament uh, and a bit of the Old Testament every day. So mix and match, okay? The other thing I'd say is um, the most important thing far and away is the Gospels. Um, I have my own little personal Bible reading plan, um, which which I've made for myself because I like to read the whole Bible every year. Um, and in that plan, I've got a section just for the Gospels. So I have a little thing which gets me reading just the Gospels across the whole year, which means reading about nine verses a day of the Gospels. So my point here is that if you look at the Gospels, you can just read 10 verses a day and take your time over it. Uh, the time that you give is the important thing, and you will get a lot out of it. Um, so so that would be the two things, is, is make sure you're reading the Gospels. Um, if necessary, just read a tiny bit a day, but give time to it. Um, um, and don't get disheartened, you know, always keep going. Is that Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, Abel, I've got a question for you. Abel is helping. He's a volunteer here at Radio Maria, and he's helping with uh, working towards his Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, now, Abel, you go to St. Bede's School. Is that okay? Oh, I just said that out loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's too late now to take yeah. it away. Thank you for yeah. calling. Thank you. God bless. And I think that that's a really good phrase, actually, planting the seed. Um, um, you know, in we had that in the Gospel today at Mass. That's where um, I came up with it. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, because um, you know, Jesus tells us the seed's the word of God, um, and if you think about the sower sowing the seed, um, part of our job is to try and is to tr for us to try and be the good soil. Um, so the seed is tiny; it may be only be a tiny bit of scripture we can read each day, but we try and make sure that we ourselves are the good soil. So that means making sure if we're reading a tiny bit of scripture, that we are giving time to it, we're sitting somewhere quiet, we're giving our whole attention to it, we're praying over it, we pray before and pray, pray after it. Um, so, and just have faith in the value of the seed, um, as long as we're kind of preparing ourselves to receive it. I think another thing is films. Does that help at all? Like, if there's a, a film um, off of the story, I know they kind of go away from it, they have their creative license but that's what gets me interested too wanting to like oh what is what yeah. is the real story yeah. in the bible about 
and also I think anything that helps you to enter into the in, into the scripture. So, um, and, and some people have a very visual imagination. So, film is is really helpful. But when 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 you're reading say scripture, it, it's always really helpful to try and place yourself inside it. How does this look from the outside? If I am, for example, if um, we're we're talking about the ascension, if I'm if I'm there standing on the Mount of the Ascension with the disciples, how does that feel? What do I see? What do I hear? What do I experience? And and for some people, uh, c- cinema can can give you that kind of immersive experience. So yeah, for sure. Father Andrew, I could talk to you all day, but we will not, we will not, we will need to have you definitely back on Radio Maria. Thank you so much for sharing all of all of this today and definitely inspiring, hopefully able to start reading those Gospels line, just a few lines at a time. Thanks so much. It's been a great pleasure. Could I ask you, Father Andrew, to, uh, could we finish the program with a prayer and perhaps a blessing for our listeners? Yes, of course, yeah. Almighty God, we thank you for the opportunity for encountering you in in sacred scripture. We ask you to open our minds, but above all to open our hearts to the presence of your Son in sacred scripture. We ask you, Lord, to set our hearts on fire with his presence, so that as we read, our hearts may burn within us. And as we encounter the Lord, in our reading. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you and God bless Father Andrew. Thank you. God bless.